Alright, that's gonna take us off of the air. Uh, appreciate y'all staying with us. We've got some great stuff lined up for you in overtime today. Um, so make sure you don't go anywhere. We are going to take a short break and be right back. in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. Thanks for hanging out. You are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio program. We're now in overtime, and like I said, we've got some good stuff for you. Talking to Asa Liebman, he is a pipe fitter, a plumber pipe fitter in Arizona, who does a TikTok, very cool TikTok, and uh, we're going to be talking about some other issues before we bring him on, and so let's start with this uh, stuff going on at the Supreme Court. Um, Y'all may have heard about this issue at the Supreme Court, Glacier Northwest versus the Teamsters. And, um, you know, the facts of this case are basically that these Teamsters drive concrete mixing trucks and they went on strike as they had cement in their truck. And if they had turned the trucks off while the cement was inside, the cement would have hardened inside of the mixer and totally destroyed the truck. Um, and that would have been just a ridiculous amount of damage. Uh, but they did not do that. They did not do that. They left the trucks running so that the employee employer was able to get the cement out. Now, without the labor of the Teamsters, they were not able to deliver the cement and so some of the cement was ruined uh, over the course, you know, because of the strike. And so Glacier Northwest is attempting to sue the union for damages because of this lost product. Now, before this ridiculous era of conservative pro-capitalist uh, judiciary, it had already been settled that expiration of goods is not something that employers could sue unions for. Uh, whether we're thinking about a milkman not delivering the milk, and so the milk goes bad. You know, these are cases that have been had before, as I understand it, in the courts. And the courts have said, no, uh, it's leg that's legitimate. That's legitimate. And if you really want to make sure that the milk doesn't go bad, you can get scabs, right? And it's not like Glacier Northwest did not know that the strike was happening. So they could have acquired scabs to make sure that the cement didn't go bad and it was able to be delivered and whatever, whatever. Or, of course, you know, sign a fair contract <laughs> with their own employees as to avoid a strike because um, never forget that a strike is indication of management's failure to negotiate. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, um, you know, the cement did go bad. The cement went bad. Uh, and so it was like a couple $10,000 of, you know, damages or something that they're trying to get, I think. But um, this would really open the door. You know, if, I mean, the Supreme Court taking this case at all, even though the Washington Supreme Court was unanimous. Like, there wasn't a single dissent in the fact that on the Washington Supreme Court, and they all said, basically, you know, this is settled law. You can't, you know, you can't sue them for damages over this. This is, you know, this is a legitimate outcome of a legitimate bargaining tactic. And so, you know, this is what it is, right? It is what it is. And um, not only was the Supreme Court unanimous in Washington, there were typically a lot of times what will happen, one of the reasons that the Supreme Court will take up a case is because there's a conflict in the district courts, right? So if a federal court in Texas rules one way on a thing and then a federal court in New York rules a different way, then the uh, on a similar issue, then the Supreme Court will take one of these cases to settle the conflict, to say, okay, look, here's who's right, here's what who's wrong, and here's the law. Here's how you are to interpret the law, other federal courts. But there was no conflict in the federal courts. Everybody was under the understanding that this case was rightly decided. There was no conflict at the district level. Uh, there was no conflict on the Washington Supreme Court. So really, it's absurd that they took this case because there's nothing to settle here <coughs> unless they are just intent on overturning decades of precedent, which could be the case. Right. That, you know, seems to be the indication. And if they do that, then um, then employer then if they un if they undo this precedent, then that really opens the door up to all manner of other stuff, uh, you know, beyond just the type of stuff that we're talking about. But even just the type of stuff that we're talking about. What if Starbucks baristas go on strike and uh, for three days and their milk goes bad? Well, even though this exact situation has been decided on, it might be overturned. And that the Starbucks baristas will have to pay for the product that they that went bad because they did not give their labor to the company. Over the oh, uh, for using a protected tactic in bargaining. You know, it reminds me of a couple of months ago, if listeners will recall, <clears throat> Warrior Matt Cole tried something along mm -hmm. these lines. They tried to get the NLRB to side with them and force the UMWA to pay them millions of dollars not just for direct costs associated with the strike, but going so far as to argue they should be responsible for lost production. Right. I mean, the whole point of a strike is to withhold labor and therefore stop production and therefore hurt the employer in the pocketbook, right? right. That is a leverage. And what the Supreme Court is looking at doing is stripping that leverage that we have as working people through the collective action of withholding our labor. That is a very scary prospect. The employer in Glacier, um, so they want to overdo, they want to overturn this, and they, their attorney, who is interestingly a former former Donald Trump solicitor general, began his argument 
by comparing the spoilage of a partial day's worth of concrete with federal security guards leaving their post in the middle of a terrorist threat. Oh, you mean like their people did on January 6th? Mm. Oh, okay. A ferry boat crew abandoning ship in the middle of a river <laughs> and steelworkers walking out in the middle of, an, uh, of a molten iron pour, risking extensive damage to the factory equipment. Um, these are all totally different things that we're talking about. I mean, you know, like, okay, look, uh, so here's here's a, a compromise that maybe I'll be willing to make. If they began their strike as the, as they were driving, you know, they're like driving their the cement trucks down the road towards the building and they just jump out and you know, they've all got like beds and stuff on the side of the road. So they're prepared for this and they jump out. And the truck just happens to, uh, you know, go into the building. Okay, that seems probably maybe a bit much. Maybe, maybe a bit much. I don't know. Maybe it should be legal. Maybe it shouldn't be. Uh, but at least under the current regime, we can understand that that would be illegal. Okay, we can understand that that you can't just start your strike while you're barreling down the road at seventy miles an hour. Okay. But that's totally different than this situation. These trucks were still, they were continued mixing the cement so that they did not destroy the trucks. We just had one day's worth of product that was spoiled, which is legitimate. And so this is a very, very concerning precedent that, uh, that the Supreme Court could very well take. And, uh, you know, this is something to keep your eye on. This is something to keep, keep your eye on. Um, well, and, and the other thing, another piece to this conversation is how will labor respond? Right. How will the labor movement, you know, institutionally, as far as the AFL-CIO, the Teamsters and others, how are they going to respond to the Supreme Court situation and, and how the landscape may change? Um, because we've, we've been down this road before with some other issues. You know, we had the Janus case a few years ago. Uh, going after agency fees. Uh, so <clears throat> I, I'm just curious to know, you know, how is organized labor, big labor, <laughs> quote unquote, how is big labor going to respond to this? Uh, because the there has been a tendency, I think, as labor institutionalized, you know, after its heyday, and we've seen this long decline, I think there's been a tendency for big labor to stick within the legal terrain and just try to do the best they can within the process, right? Uh, but that process continually gets worse. The legal terrain continually gets worse for us uh, as working people. So, you know, I think leaders of the labor movement have to be really looking at uh, the implications of a case like this and how that may impact strategies and tactics. Right. I hope that there are people, uh, you know, higher up in the labor movement than me that are that are really having those conversations and thinking through that. They're important conversations to have, and you know, I mean, how are we gonna? I I, I don't know. Um, and how are we as a people going to respond to the fact that we have this Supreme Court, this institution of nine unelected individuals, 
in this case, you know, what, five, six individuals, continually stripping rights away from us that have been won historically over the past century and a half. Right. Um, you know, we live in a Gilded Age economy, and we have a Supreme Court and others that are trying to, you know, bring our society back to the Gilded Age as well. Uh, the legal framework, the constitutional framework. So that's something else I think that uh, we as a labor movement have to be looking at. It's like, yes, this specific Supreme Court case, how it may impact our ability to strike effectively. Uh, but what are we going to do about the situation in general uh, where we have essentially this rogue Supreme Court that is um, you know, unaccountable? and continually doing damage to our lives and our rights. Right. Um, I also wanted to talk about this, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, which has been, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond has been at the precipice of bankruptcy for years, right? Uh, I mean, they've been continually every year, they're announcing store closures. Um, it's been <clears throat> a meme stock lately. Yeah. I understand. So last year, the retail and so uh, a couple of days ago they came out announcing more closures more cuts despite this over the last 3 years they spent a billion dollars on stock buybacks how do you name i mean how do you how do you justify that your company is on the brink of bankruptcy, and instead of investing in innovation or whatever, that's what capitalism is supposedly, you know, that's what it does, right, is innovation is what they tell us. Instead of investing in innovation, in uh, modernizing your facilities, in attracting the best workforce possible for retail, in, uh, you know, investing in your current workforce, um, and doing anything that is actually going to benefit the company, they're just putting more money into wealthy people's pockets while they're on the brink of bankruptcy. And you know, like I, I, I and and this was just just a quick hit, but it's it's <laughs> it's worth underscoring that like these are the titans of our economy and how they choose to allocate resources. And, you know, it's worth questioning, is that actually the best way to allocate resources? Should we just have our economy run by people who happen to have money? And should they just be able to decide what happens to all of this money that is created by other people? Right? Because the wealth of Bed Bath & Beyond uh, was not created by the people, certainly not the people that own it now. You know, maybe at a certain point, and this is something that Adam and I have talked about on the show, that there's a certain amount of labor that goes into, you know, uh, being a quote-unquote small business owner in, in some instances. And, and there's a lot of, you know, quote-unquote hard work that, uh, uh, that you do if you're starting up a business and you're actually doing the running of the thing. You know, so I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with the history of Bed Bath & Beyond. Maybe the original owner was like, he worked really hard or she worked really hard. I don't know, right? But it's not owned by the original people. Right, and, and well, they didn't produce the towels and right. comforters and knickknacks that they sell in the store, uh, nor do they unload them from the trucks, nor do they stock them on the shelves or sell them to the customers. Right. 
So, you know, all these people that are making these decisions about what to do with the wealth that is created from the enterprise that is Bed Bath & Beyond um, are not doing things that is going to be in the best interest of these people. Right? Like, if the people who work at Bed Bath & Beyond were able to vote about how these resources were allocated, would they allocate these resources better or worse for the enterprise than just donating a billion dollars to wealthy people? You know, I mean, I think that just regular well, uh, regular working people would be able to better distribute the resources right. than just donating a billion dollars to wealthy people. Because it's also, you know, the impact on the community. Um, you know, these companies that are like Bed Bath & Beyond that are like sort of uh, teetering on the brink of collapse. Mm -hmm. And it's like you, you have these capitalists at the top who are just trying to extract anything and everything that's like not nailed down right. uh, while the whole thing crumbles. And, and in its wake, you have unemployed workers. You have empty buildings littering our communities. Um, businesses that were in our communities that are closed, so now, you know, less options for folks, uh, and on and on. But, you know, it, it just speaks to speaks to the system we have where we have an economy that is designed around the pursuit of private profit, not the public good. And public costs are often really private cost uh, that have been socialized right you know you have private industry um, is able to socialize some of the cost and liabilities of their operations such as you know destroying the entire planet for example um, meanwhile the wealth which is socially created is privately held on to I mean it, it's going into private pockets uh, but it is a social creation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But now, I, I, I hope we all remember that, of course, capitalism is so efficient and capitalists are so smart <laughs> because they wouldn't be rich if they weren't smart, right? So they must be smart to continue being rich. Right. Uh, and there must be no other way. There's no alternative. This is clearly the most rational way to organize a society and an economy. Honestly. Um, yes, ensuring that a crappy uh, Bed Bath & Beyond knickknack store will deliver dividends for a handful of uh, wealthy folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, Zoom is up, right? And so we'll be able to know when uh, Asa jumps on? That's correct, yeah. Asa is not in just yet, but okay. hopefully coming Great. soon. Uh, I had one more thing pulled out, and that is this uh, Charlie Munger. Have you had you heard his name before? His name sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't. That name does sound familiar. He's some billionaire investor, um, <clears throat> apparently a friend of Warren Buffett. He says that he doesn't understand why people aren't more content with what they have. Um, quote: People are less happy about the state of affairs than they were when things were way tougher. Um, and just basically says that everybody is five times better off than they used to be, so stop complaining. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'd like to see exactly how he quantifies all this. How are we five times better off? And also, um, 
what's the measurement to show that people are <laughs> like less happy now than they were then with worse conditions? Come on, now you're just. You know, it's easy to say this as a as, as a billionaire, as somebody a billionaire. whose net worth is two point two billion dollars. Yeah, super easy to say that. <laughs> he will never, ever, have to worry about survival for himself or his family, right. and that's something the vast majority of people in this country and on this planet don't get to enjoy. Yeah, it it, it it's just. I mean, could you imagine? Like, he he in another in another place he said something about how uh, inequality is. Uh, is is foundational to a free market economy, and it's like, well, that's true. Yeah, now that know. is absolutely true. I agree <laughs> with you. Inequality is foundational to the free market system, but it's also not the the degree to which our inequality is today is not foundational, and oh, we know that not. again because I talked about historical data earlier in the show. We can just look back at historical data for this. We did not always used to be so unequal as a society society used to be far more equal than today right and and it was still capitalism in 1950 and 1960 right we were still a generally speaking capitalist economy and uh and yet things were much more equal and so it's not necessary you could still be a capitalist economy and have lower levels of inequality well sure i mean compare us to literally every other wealthy country on planet earth um the inequality in this country resembles uh does not resemble our our peers in terms of the wealth and technology that we have as a society uh and, and you're exactly right Inequality has grown dramatically over the past five decades, and that's a result of choices, that's a result of policies, uh, and that's a result of the class war, and we have been losing it. Class struggle exists whether people want to acknowledge it or not, and um, it's very clear the balance of power has shifted dramatically over the past five decades. The wealth that has been created, the gains in productivity has not gone to working people. Right, it's gone to the top. Capital has held on to those gains in productivity, uh, and to keep pace because our wages have stagnated, workers have turned to debt to try to keep it going. Right, and um, you know something. Something I just saw in the comments, Sid mentioned that it, it's worse now than the time of the pharaohs, and that's exactly true. And I, I've said this before. Like, you know, Louis the Sixteenth would be envious of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Uh, the the scale, the sheer scale of inequality that we have, um, it's it's almost, you know, unfathomable for earlier times. Um, it's just the economy has 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 been captured by just a handful of folks, a handful of families, a handful of companies by and large, run the vast majority of this economy and own this economy. And um, it's that's how our society is organized. And I just I encourage people to think like, you know, is that how it has to be? Um, And to your point, even even within the system that we have, it has certainly had a different character to it. Uh, And we saw a period of progress from the 30s through the 60s where gains in productivity were by and large being captured by wages for workers. And it was a period of broad prosperity in many ways, um, notwithstanding the 
significant, you know, structural barriers for women, for people of color. Um, so there was obviously a lot there, but in terms of the economic system, before neoliberalism really took hold, we did see a gain in working people wages, working people uh, benefits, union rates. Um, unions were able to drive up the floor for everybody. So even at our peak, we may have only had about a third of the workforce unionized, but that lifted up everybody, everybody around. Um, and, and this idea that, you know, we're so much better off now, I just totally reject because, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was much more common and possible for a working class person to leave school, maybe not even finish high school, leave school and go get a good union job mm -hmm. that would provide for a family, typically a single income to provide right. for a family uh, and to be able to retire with dignity with a guaranteed pension. And that is just, I mean, that's, that's a unicorn now. Right. Those jobs. And, and that's why, you know, when we talk to these brothers and sisters who still hold on to some of those kind of jobs, you see what a struggle it is for them to, to, to hold the line. Right. Well, and, and you know, and I, and I do want to, you know, I, just for the sake of, you know, the pedant in, in the comments when we clip this, you know, I do want to acknowledge that there are some improvements like, you know, air conditioning and the Internet and, and, and that in some ways make our lives better. But also the, the private ownership of, of some of these things are contributing to, you know, some of the malaise in society, you know, the way that the social media networks have, you know, really, uh, um, you know, hacked our brains um, wouldn't necessarily be the case if, if these were, you know, if we were, a, if, if we had more control over these companies, um, it, it seems to me. And also uh, just because, just because, in some ways, <clears throat> we're better off than we used to be. Doesn't mean things can't be better, and that the that the you know even even if let's grant that it you know let's just grant that thing that in that in maybe even the majority of ways I, I don't I don't grant this because of what you said right because you could go get out of college get out of high school and get a good paying union job and support a family on one income I think that that is really an important piece of society that is just lost now that is really lost but even if we were to grant that that doesn't mean we have to accept people like charlie munger having so much more than the rest of us i mean if adam and i both let's say we worked on a project let's say we worked on this project and we turned this turned this project the valley labor report into a profit making enterprise and let's say that that somehow we were able to quantify all the labor that we did and let's say that he put in 50 hours a week on the project and i put in 10 hours a week on the project and let's say i was able to pull in you know we we pulled in total for the project $100,000 and i kept 90,000 of it and he kept 10,000 of it. Okay, we could say in a certain way we're both better off than they, than we were before, but it's certainly not fair. We, we could still say that it's not fair that the person who did most of the work got like 10% of the the profits that we made, right? 
And so, you know, if, if, if Adam went public with this, with these allegations, you know, Jacob took, you know, Jacob only worked 10 hours a week and he took $90,000 of the profits that we made. And I only, and he only gave me 10 and, you know, if I came out and said, look, you know, you had more money than you did before, so shut the hell up, right? <laughs> you know, that would, we would obviously say that that's not fair. And that's in large part what's going on, even if we were to accept this narrative, which should be challenged, but even if we were to accept it, that doesn't mean that people at the top deserve so much more money than the rest of us, so much more power than the rest of us, because money is power in our society. Right, and I mean, and, and that's not just like, Thinking that thinking about this, uh, folks smarter than us, including folks uh, at Princeton University, have done the research and done studies to demonstrate the ways in which we do not live in a democratic society. We live in a plutocratic society wherein our society is governed of, by, and for the wealthy, and that the average person's um, input into the system is negligible. Uh, compared to the input of the wealthy, that's just a fact. And and to your point, yeah, acknowledging where we've made progress is not an acknowledgement that it's good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm glad, in certain respects, we have made gains, uh, particularly in terms of, say, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace, for example. Right. Things that were routine 50 years ago. Uh, rarely happen now they still do but rarely do and and when they do happen are taken much more seriously that's progress right that doesn't mean that we've like fixed gender issues (laughs) right forever (laughs) like oh everything's fine now no no of course not and and it's absurd to think that way and um you know this uh this billionaire who wants us to be happy you know so few have so much, while so many have so little, and millions of people in this country do not have health care. Millions of people in this country couldn't pay for a $500 emergency if it happened to them today. Millions of people in this country are delaying health care. Millions of people in this country have a lifetime of debt just because they wanted to get an education. I mean, give me a break. Right. Give me a break. And Asa is in the Zoom, by the way. Uh, so Let's go ahead and bring him on. Uh, Asa Liebman is a uh, fourth-year apprentice with the UA Local 469, uh, the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union in Arizona. Uh, I found him on TikTok. Uh, he is under the username bring things all one word bring things on tiktok uh fantastic channel very funny very uh lots of good educational stuff uh lots of good also just funny things so i recommend following him on tiktok uh asa thanks for joining the show i appreciate it yeah thanks for having me so uh i guess let's start with the name bring things what's what's up with that why why choose that name for for your tiktok channel uh well it has no relevance to my content no relevance to what i mean it's a <laughs> uh, you know it is uh two rhyming things that have to do with uh with uh my uh particular mindset when going to anywhere in life whether that well you know what we can tie it in whether it be a job site whether it be to a holiday party whether it be 
to uh, get together with friends. Um, I uh, don't want to come empty-handed. Okay, cool. I like that. You want to you want to bring some things. Well, that's uh, and I think I think with the TikTok you are you I think you're you're bringing something to you know your description on your TikTok channel is the lighter side of the class struggle. Um, I really like it. It's very comedic. I told you on the phone yesterday or the day before, whenever we spoke, that uh, that uh, we would like to bring a little bit more levity to the program because I don't think that either of us are very comedic. So you know, <laughs> so hopefully this is the start of maybe a bit more you know a bit more comedian types. Of um, you know, on the program. And so I, I appreciate what you're doing on your TikTok. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it's no laughing matter. Uh, you know, the, the issues that we're talking about, uh, but that being said, um, the people who I have the privilege of working side by side with, um, often have the most, uh, genuine and peculiar sense of humor, uh, you know, mm. born of, struggle that we're all engaged in so um you know there is there is historically a context for uh humor and struggle going hand in hand yeah yeah ab absolutely so the I, and i guess that kind of leads into you know why did what made you want to start the tiktok channel that you do um that's a actually a really good question. Uh, I, I have a great love for uh, a couple things and they all tie together very well when I discovered TikTok. I'm a latecomer to TikTok. I've only um, started my account about six months ago. But uh, the idea of, uh, I love short form video. I love uh, comedy and I love having the opportunity to uh, share ideas. And uh, you know, the, the idea is not a new idea and it's not unique to TikTok, but the, uh, this idea of the marketplace of ideas where people mm. can exchange information and ideas. Um, the, if you go through my following list of who I'm following, it is a complete hodgepodge of um, you know, union activists and organizers, uh, people in the construction trades, uh, decolonialists, um, uh, entertainers, comedians, and uh, a few completely random skilled skilled people uh, from skilled areas that I have no idea about, but I love to see people who are uh, good at what they do sharing mm. something they never see. Uh, in my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, and I, I I think you do a do a good job of you know, um, uh, of that kind of stuff, and that's something that I really enjoy. That that TikTok is is a really unique platform. I think you know, obviously, like anything, it's got some problems, but it's something that uh, that I definitely enjoy because you get to see stuff like that that you just wouldn't wouldn't normally see like you said you wouldn't normally see be able to to take a look at, at you know what folks are doing um what folks are thinking um in, in in other uh uh in other environments and so you know the one of the things that we talked about um is that you know your your channel is not exclusively focused on you know, kind of union propaganda or union activism or thoughts of a union organizer. But that is 
that's a big part of it, right? A big part of your TikTok is um, this is why unions are good, or this is something that that I have been able to see as a union worker. And you told me that you actually spent you know ten years as a SAG after member, as a you know a stunt performer in movies, and that you know before going into this industry. You know, you were more of just a, a paper member. You know, your politics are, are, were broadly aligned, but, you know, you just didn't really participate very much. And so can you talk to us a bit about the the interest that you have now in participation in the labor movement? Why you think it's important to talk about this stuff, to try to educate people and to put yourself out there in, you know, the, the marketplace of ideas or and, and, you know, whether that be on TikTok or also in your workplace while you're talking to your coworkers, your brothers and sisters from your union? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, one, one of the factors is simply uh, growing up um, or rather living my uh, life experience, right? When I uh, worked in stunts, I was a very young man and I had other things on my mind that seemed far more important um, than, you know, as a lot of young people do, uh, that were far more important than um, what some would call these like abstract and grandiose ideas, um, which through my lived experience, I discovered that there is a, uh, a, a depth and permeation to this this class struggle and the importance of uh, a workplace organization that is not uh, that is not like a secondary thing. It permeates like every part of our culture. And even just listening to the previous segment a little bit, um, just talking about the, these basic ideas of uh, of class inequality and uh, and the lack of equity in our society. I mean, this is something that is found everywhere you look. This is not something that is unique to uh, a specific trade or a specific shop or a specific job Mm -hmm. site. This is something that is evident, not only in our uh, environment, but it's something that we have, for the most part, as working people, internalized to an extreme extent. Um, And starting to, to recognize that from once again, like my lived experience, uh, reaching out a little bit for education, reading a little bit, but uh, mostly it's it's from uh, keeping an open mind and and talking talking to other people and learning their experiences and trying to look at life through a little bit more critical lens of than than the uh, survival that we oh. often go day to day, one foot in front of the other. Right, right. And, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, your lived experience, I, I guess let's, you know, we can kind of talk about that for a little bit. And, and specifically, I mean, you know, the benefits that you have through your apprenticeship and, and soon to be uh, a journeyman once you're able to complete it, uh, once you're able to complete your apprenticeship, you're a fourth year apprentice with UA Local 469. You know, what are some of those things? And you were you were a member of SAG-AFTRA for 10 years. So um, so what are some of the, the benefits of 
unionization that you've been able to see and and compare to people that you know work in a similar in the same industry without uh being members of the union sure well um the the first thing that's on the tip of my tongue now because of uh the segment just before this uh i believe adam is the uh other gentleman yes yeah yeah so adam uh was was talking about that uh health insurance i believe and how many millions of people who work a full-time job right these are people who contribute to society every day they build things they uh move things they keep what we need to continue happening um and they cannot be sick they cannot have not have health issues um whether i mean whether or not the reality of that happens doesn't matter because they cannot miss work and if they have to miss work then (laughs) they cannot afford the medical treatment that they need um and uh so one of the one of the most easily contrasted things between a lot of what I've seen from the non-signatory shops versus organized laborers of any of any uh, trade is the access to healthcare. And that is something that is is not insignificant. And people look at numbers on a check. And those can vary, right? Um, I know in my in my uh, area that we do make more on the on the check, right? Because that's you know we just talked about internalizing the capitalism, right? Where where this money is, the dollar amount is your value as a human being. But um, being able to provide for your you and your family to have adequate health care is sadly an unusual privilege in today in today's society so that is that's the number one thing that stands out to me yes and and i think that you know and and one of the and and we're going to talk about this when we you know react to this other video with you that i found on tiktok uh about you know free time and and the non non monetary benefits of unionization and and i think that a lot of times even people in unions can kind of lose sight of that and lose sight of the importance of things like free time and healthcare and retirement and they get lost they, they get kind of lost in the sauce right they're they're just looking at what is my number look what does the number on the check look like every two weeks and and when really you know we should be i think we should be more focused on taking our time back from the boss than we are um, because we see in a lot of these instances, you know, union workers have uh, given a lot of their time up, you know, they've allowed themselves to be worked, you know, but, you know, by virtue of the fact that, you know, they live in a society and, and, you know, all these structures and material conditions and all of this. But, you know, the fact remains that, uh, a lot of people work, including union workers, work more than we used to, work more than we have to, work more than we have to to make a living. Um, and and instead of pushing for more money on the paycheck, maybe it's time that we start thinking about, like, how do we pull back some of our time um, and, and some of these other things? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's an absolutely great point. Um, you know, we have these these uh, allowances and, uh, and a lot of collective bargaining agreements, right? And a lot of contracts that um, protect us, right? With these overtime hours, right? Um, which were, I believe, meant to be protections and disincentives from overwork. And instead, um, the uh, the change in perception is in order to make a good living or what people, what that higher dollar amount on the check, um, it's no longer about being able to take care of myself and my family with the, uh, with the hours, uh, the 40 hour work week, right? Now it's right. how much overtime can I get? Because that's what I need to have a, a quality of life. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a absolutely. So, you know, with that, I think let's, <clears throat> let's, Take a look at some of your work. I want to show. I wanted to show some folks, and so we've pulled up. Uh, this is um, uh, we've pulled four of your TikToks, and you know you've got six six months worth of content. So you know, like I said, folks follow, bring things on TikTok. Um, but I wanted to uh, show folks a few of them and, and let you say you know talk about like maybe some of your inspirations for some of these, and um, you know. Let, uh, take a look at them. So, Adam, let's let's take a look at this first one, um, and and Asa, you can talk to us about it. And we're also going to hope and pray that they all work and uh, <laughs> everything works as it's supposed to, and all uh, all the cameras cooperate. So, uh, here we go. Better ingredients, better pizza. Better bitches, better money. My clothes better, my shoes better. I work harder. Fuck Lil Caesars. Fuck Domino's. <laughs> so I think that Asa, that was actually the first video of yours that I saw, and not for nothing, that one went really, really viral. Uh, so you know, talk to us about that, I guess. Um, and and yeah. I know that the, one of the things in comedy that makes things really funny is when you explain the joke, right? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so that <laughs> if that was is it wasn't my. Uh, it wasn't uh, my first. Sorry about that. Uh, for some reason, you were muted for a sec. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, well, there can only be one of me on the screen at a time. I'm there we go. That's what it is. It was just too, <laughs> too much. Like, it just overwhelmed the system. Um, so, yeah. Uh, that, that was one of my, uh, that was one of my first, uh, like you said, like, very, uh, well-received videos and um it was uh it was pretty pretty uh simple and straightforward there is a sound by a, a another creator that uh was being used for all kinds of different things in that vein and um i had just recently had an experience talking to a uh non-union worker on a job site that was asking me some questions and uh, I was getting, I noticed myself getting very animated, right? When I was talking about uh, the benefits and um, I, it's, you know, it is something that I'm passionate about, right? I'm not doing this. Uh, my, my, uh, my local is not paying me to make these TikToks. Um, so it's, it is something that I'm very passionate about. And um, the connection got made in my head. And the next time I had the chance to uh, make a video, I uh, I went ahead and did it. Um, 
the only problem that I had making that video is when I'm <laughs> listing the uh, benefits of joining a union, right? Um, he only says better ingredients, better pizza, uh, better bitches. You know, he only says a couple mm -hmm. things and way more things that I could think of to put in so I cherry picked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I have <clears throat> a lot of that uh, or, or a, a similar animation. Like, you know, when I'm talking to people, I can get pretty animated and I, uh, you know, gesticulate and use my arms a lot. And, uh, it, it my family loves it, of course, uh, <laughs> but, um, let, but you know, there's, it, it, you, you also, you know, there, there are some, some videos and in this one, you kind of do it in a, in a pretty funny way where, you know, there, there are some annoyances that you can have with other union workers and, uh, you know, some, some things that come up. And so let's talk about, or, or let's, let's play this, uh, play this one. And, and Adam, make sure that the tip that his zoom video is like below the TikTok because I don't think that they were able to actually see that tick the the last TikTok. Uh, so in the frames, we want to make sure that that um, that his Zoom video is is below that. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's check out this next TikTok that that we have pulled. All right, and uh, Jacob, just just letting you know, it's it is gonna do what it's gonna do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bear with us. All right. So were we able to see that one? Yes, we. I, I do Fantastic. believe we saw that one. Uh, unfortunately, it showed up over Ace's current face. Uh, so yeah, still only one Ace on the screen at one time. Apparently, is all that we can handle on the Valley yeah. Report. But uh, you know, speaks to you. <laughs> yeah. So Asa, uh, talk to us about that one. When uh, who who pissed you off that day? What what's the deal there? Um, you know, I, uh, there's a, a little piece of red tape there that I, I set up, uh, just specifically to make the point, but, uh, <laughs> on a lot of construction sites, especially, uh, when you have a lot of trade stack and a lot of people working together, um, or working together, um, you'll get, uh, you'll have situations where your work or your convenience or your, uh, fastest route is going to be blocked by somebody else's work and um i i just i felt like it was a something that was going to be really relatable because uh i mean how much people love complaining about their coworkers. um so mm -hmm. that's uh that's essentially what that is um i was poking a little bit of fun at myself because i will be uh talking about worker solidarity um you know, at a coffee break. And then on my way back to the work area, I am cussing the crap out of the electricians. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, very much so. <laughs> uh, so this third one here is something that we very much relate to on the program and it, it's about uh, politicians and the way that they'll talk to you and and even some of, some of the times like the way that our union leaders will talk about these politicians um, versus you know what happens after they actually get in office so Adam let's play that one all right and and again where it will show up on the screen is uh, anyone's guess it's kind of a like a roulette 
We're playing TikTok roulette. Will it show up? Will it not? Will you hear it? We'll find out. Uh, so I think that that's something that <laughs> that we can all really, really relate to, especially after two years of like Democrats in the Senate and the House and the presidency, right? Sure, yeah. I, it, and it wasn't uh, my my politics are not uh, partisan as far as um, as far as like Democrat versus Republican, uh, which right. is why I left it specifically. Uh, as politicians, because this is something that, uh, in, in our, in our politics, uh, happens across the board and it happens constantly. Um, you know, we are, we, we are pandered to, mm. and, uh, that, that might be the, uh, tamest and most respectful way to put it is that, that we are regularly pandered to, um, by, by everybody because it's simple. I mean, they want our votes. They want to to be relatable. They show up on a job site. They'll uh, put know, on the hard hat. Up, yeah, put the hard hat on. Mm-hmm. Roll up their sleeves. Um, maybe make some cool catchphrase about how you know we're working hard for working families or some you know frothy mm-hmm. emotional appeal like that. And um, at the end of the day, uh, you know. They, they serve a system that does not serve the people. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny how these folks that will show up for the Labor Day picnic, mm. the Labor Day <clears> march, <throat> but then you, you don't hear from them for four years. Uh, or, you know, you got an issue going on and, and they're not very responsive when it's, you know, crunch time. But now if, if they got the Labor Day barbecue, they are going to show up, shake hands, pass out their literature. Uh, it's just all the time in between when we might actually need something from them. Then all of a sudden they get a little scarce. Yeah. Yeah. We hear a lot more. Uh, we hear a lot more um, during election season from these candidates uh, supporting us than we do when they are, when they have achieved their goal and right. are, are sitting actually uh, have some influence on policy. Yeah, come to me to the Labor Day picnic on an off year and tell me what you accomplished right. uh, since the last picnic. How about that? I uh, would love to see some politicians take that approach. Yeah, that would be pretty nice. Uh, and the last one is another benefit of unionization that uh, you didn't talk about in that first clip, but is but is very important, and that's your uh, protection from unjust retaliation. Adam, let's play this one. It would appear that I have potentially been too silly and or goofy for my own good. So here we go, right? Your union contract is going to protect your your right to be silly on the job, right? And that's I think that's an important thing. Sometimes you got to yeah. call the rep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um, you did mention my, the the tag in my uh, in my bio. Uh, that says the lighter side of class struggle. There's also a disclaimer on there that says uh, uh, videos are not recorded uh, on company time. So, uh, (laughs) 
So that's uh, that's just something I want to put out there, and I uh, stand very by. Very clear. And uh, make it clear. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> anyone I, I, snitching or trying right. to uh, uh -huh. cause problems, this is all in the up and up. At the end of the day, um, you know, one of the that is one of the most important parts of organization and and uh, collective bargaining or uh, or just collectivization in general, right? Of the union is that um, individually uh, we have very very little power. A worker has such such a small amount of uh, control and leverage in the world that we live in, and the only I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, I believe, but you know, the, the, uh, to have a representative that speaks with that, that, okay. To have a representative that has the interests of the worker at heart mm -hmm. is a rare thing in this world. And this is one of the only places where I was able to find it in my personal life. And then for that representative to not only have the the intention but to also have the backing of a large uh, amount and a a, a, a a group of workers uh enough to enough so to have any kind of leverage or any kind of uh weight behind their words and their representation and their intentions um that is a beautiful and rare thing yep yeah absolutely absolutely and i mean uh when i previously served as a representative you know i remember one of the earliest cases i dealt with was a lunch lady who had been on the job for you know over 20 years she was close to retirement she was going to retire early over a relatively minor issue and it wasn't really that big of a an issue in my eyes but for her it was but what she needed was just the confidence she needed a representative who actually, as you said, like had her interest in heart, cared what happened to her, someone she could talk to. And that's all, honestly all she needed. We didn't need to file a grievance. We didn't need to get a lawyer. She just needed a game plan on like how to handle the situation. And she needed someone in her corner to root for her mm -hmm. and, and give her that confidence. And like that's, and she, she told me later that that's what it was, that it just gave her the confidence to speak to her management to get the issue resolved and you know that's something that workers who've never experienced that are, are really missing out and, and uh, oftentimes people think they will never need it right uh, my time as a rep at least half the people who called me the first thing out of their mouth was well I never thought I'd have to call you right uh, <laughs> you know I never thought I'd be in your office but here we are. And so you never know. Uh, you never know what can happen to you. You are one unfair supervisor or honest mistake or wrong place, wrong time away from, from being in a world of shit. Yeah. And it makes a difference when you have someone you can call who is there to represent you and advocate for you and be in your corner. Um, it's just, it's huge, huge difference. So yeah, I'm I'm glad you really put that out there, you know, in a funny way, and and but it's true though. Like, we need to be able to just be ourselves at work and feel okay that someone's not watching over our shoulder 
you know, that every little comment is going to be scrutinized and every every remark is going to mm-hmm. be grounds for termination. Uh, and that's that security that you have when you have a union contract, you've got a union backing you up, you have due process, that no, nah, motherfucker, you better come to me with something real if you're going to fire me. Right. Don't, you know, don't make something up. Don't come at, you know, these little nitpicky things. That is a union difference. To say, yes. you can't I, just talk to me any kind of way. You can't just get rid of me any kind of way. I have rights. Right. And at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of working people like me, I'm not, I'm, I will admit to not being a uh, union lawyer, right? I will be, admit right. to not knowing my uh, CBA cover to cover. Uh, I try to be better about it. Um, but when I'm at work, I focus on my work. I take pride mm-hmm. in my work. Most of the people that I do do the same, and we focus on it. And um, uh, not everybody has the the uh, penchant or interest in uh, interpersonal relations or interdepartmental relations or um, labor, you know anything like that, where. Um, to have a representative who is first in all of those things and has your interests at heart is uh, uh, un like incredibly valuable because it lets people that are like me or like my coworkers, right? My the people that I work with every day, um, it lets us focus on the work and not have to be constantly looking over our shoulder and digging up. Uh, digging up reasons to that we need to defend ourselves constantly. Right. Right. Absolutely. And this last, uh, this last clip that I pulled from TikTok, it's not yours, but since I found it on TikTok and, and you're from TikTok, I, I figured we'd, we'd let you riff on it. Uh, but we, we, you know, we talked some about the importance of free time and I don't have any reason to believe that the person who's mentioned here is in a union or anything like that, but it does go to, it really does speak to the importance and the value to individuals and to even, you know, greater society for people to have free time to just, you know, screw around and, you know, do whatever they want to do. Uh, so, Adam, let's play this last clip and, um, and, and react to it. A random guy may have just rewritten human history with his bombshell discovery. In what might be a major archaeological breakthrough, a furniture specialist thinks the earliest writing in human history has been hiding in plain sight. In Europe, hundreds of caves, including La Sol in France and Altamira in Spain, are decorated with hundreds of paintings of animals and other figures that were made between 15,000 and 40,000 years ago, back when humans were still hunter-gatherers. And these paintings have contained dots and lines that have long evaded explanation, until now. Ben Bacon, a furniture conservator from London who has described himself as effectively a man off the street, was just looking at pictures of this Paleolithic cave art online one day when he noticed those dots and line markings and had a hunch that they might be decipherable. In a testament to the wonders of free time, Bacon apparently spent hours online and in the British Library consulting pictures of cave drawings. He said he amassed as much data as possible and began looking for repeated patterns. So previous researchers suggested that the marking 
markings might be numerical notations used to count the amount of animals sighted or killed. Bacon made a leap to suggest they might form a calendar system designed to track the life cycles of the animals in the pictures. Bacon then reached out to leading archaeologists at Durham University and the University College London to develop the idea further and co-author a study which was published on Thursday in the Cambridge Archaeological Journal. So the lines and dots seen were thought to be a lunar calendar and the researchers also analysed a Y shape which was thought to represent an animal's birthing period because the shape kind of looks like open legs. To oversimplify, the researchers compiled a database with over 600 dot and line sequences, as well as some 250 sequences with the Y shape. And after conducting statistical analysis of the database, Bacon and his colleagues were amazed to find that their lunar calendar lined up with the known birthing periods of the animals shown in the caves. Professor Pettit, one of the researchers from Durham University, said he was glad he took it seriously when Bacon reached out to him. As Bacon told Motherboard, the discovery shows our Paleolithic ancestors were just as cognitively advanced as we are, and that their society achieved great art, numbers, and writing. Bacon told Motherboard his team wanted to hold back on the celebrations until all of their research was published. But if their hypothesis is accurate, this discovery would push the timeline of written language back tens of thousands of years. A furniture yeah. specialist. Like, how cool is that? It's just fascinating. And it, and it drives, it, it really spits in the face of um, this talking point that I see in discourse constantly. Um, in support of our current system, right? Uh, the, mm -hmm. the thing that so commonly online is that uh, our system, as it is, the capitalism that we have uh, innovates, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, capitalism uh, creates innovation, right? Mm. Uh, reads innovation. I, I don't, I've heard it a couple different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, they point at all these examples and, and all these uh, technological marvels um, that come from, you know, these developed countries and they completely ignore this fact, right? This idea that for every one of those people, how many, how many of us, how many working people, how many brilliant kids, how many people with these uh, inquisitive minds uh, are, are unable to innovate or unable to contribute what they have to society because of the the need for them to survive to feed themselves to uh maybe work those 70 80 hours a week um instead of uh instead of letting their their true potential come out and contribute to society in another way yeah and he didn't you know it's not like this person um th there's no way that they would have been able to do this if they had to work that 70, 80 hours uh, a week to survive, right? Th this person had a, a pretty significant amount of free time. And also it's worth mentioning, you know, th th they say that, oh, people, you know, w when we're talking about increasing, you know, the tax rate on the wealthy, well, what would be their motivation for doing anything if you, you know, increase their tax rate from 30% to 50%, right? But this person, there's no indication that this person is going to get wealthy from it. Maybe there's some amount of compensation that they're going to get, but it's not going to be millions or billions of dollars, even though they really changed the timeline of human history uh, with their, you know, free time discovery, it's, you know, uh, people are motivated by all sorts of things and money is only one of those things. And I think that it's really uh, not that strong of a factor, you know, 
I mean, once you are, once you have enough money to survive, I think that you're, most people are going to be motivated by other things, as this person clearly was. And everybody should be able to, everybody should be able to be motivated by other things. I think that there was somebody who said, you know, I'm not particularly interested in Einstein's, you know, particular IQ or whatever. I'm more interested in how many Einsteins we've lost due to, you know, them not being able to flourish, them not having the free time, the, uh, the surroundings to be able to become an Einstein. You know, how many people were smarter than Einstein that slaved away in a, you know, in a diamond mine in Africa or something, or in a, you know, a, a, how many people have we lost like that? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, both of you guys made that point that um, we all have our potential to contribute and we all have our own motivations. And I think this idea that, well, the only way to run a society is that the vast majority of people are threatened with homelessness and starvation if they don't go work for someone else. I just reject that that's our only option. I, I find that to not be true. I think that people now and throughout human history have always created things, innovated things, built things, made things better, uh, helped other people, helped their community. People have always done these things for a variety of reasons. <clears throat> and yeah, I no, mean, nobody was, nobody was uh, uh, filing patents on uh, on fire nobody filed a patent on the wheel so right. that they're uh, you know <laughs> these are things that were contributed because they needed they, they were discovered and they were monumental right so right mm -hmm. well, right and, and that that's also something um you know that that clip kind of gets to in terms of if you want to talk about our ancient past i mean it's easy to think that the current system we have now the system of capitalism and hierarchy that accompanies it is like Right. They want us to think it's natural. Right. This is just like the way things are. This is the, the natural system. But it's only a few centuries old. Uh, human beings have been on this planet for a very long time. And for over 90 percent of that history, there was no class or state involved. Right. So it's, it's you know, a misnomer to think that the way things are right now is the only way and or that is the natural way. Um, I just I, I just reject that evolution of, of the way right because that's the, that's the other thing that I hear is well it used to be different and that and because this is how we do it now therefore this is the better way right the, the system this is the the way of society that is a natural and better evolution of what we had before um, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with the uh, putting a value judgment on it um, but it certainly is not, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinion, it is not the uh, final form, so to speak. Right. Yeah. We it's not like history has ended. Right. Uh, and, you know, that was sort of the triumphal, triumphal uh, uh, claim in the 90s, you know, as the Soviet Union collapsed. It's like, OK, well, here we go. Case closed. Capitalism won. Like, buckle up. That's the rest of our lives. That's the rest of humanity's existence. Um, but, you know, there were people at one time who thought feudalism would never go away. They never imagined a time where your worth was not marked by, you know, your bloodline. 
uh, and noble, noble titles and uh, divine right of kings. It would have, 500 years ago, 600 years ago, you would have found a lot of people who would have had trouble conceptualizing an existence outside of that, right? And I don't know that we're so unique now. Um, and the idea that the system we have now will, will be eternal, I think is arrogant, and I think it's ahistorical, and if, if it comes out to be true, it's just because we self-destruct, <laughs> and, the, and the system takes us down with, us, with it. Um, that, that, you know, I know we've gotten kind of uh, deep, deep into, like, <laughs> philosophical nature of our society here based on some TikTok videos, but, um, yeah, those are my thoughts. Well, sure. And that, and you know what, I, I just want to say like, as much as, uh, uh, as much as like, it, you know, it's like, oh, it's silly. We're talking about these deep philosophical things, but, um, I think that kind of brings up a really good point, um, which is, and, and also this ties in a little bit to the, uh, the man of dedu deducing the calendar from the cave paintings, right? Is that mm -hmm. we, uh, we constantly, uh, give ourselves less credit um mm. we constantly look back and give people less credit right these oh these people drawing horses in caves or whatever they they uh there's no way that they could have tracked a calendar right we look back there's like there's no way that um people could have could have done this because the way that we do things today is so great and i see it a lot internalized even on the job site today right where um or in our society today where where people think that um these men and women uh, these people that are working with the tools these people that are working with their hands um that we are somehow um less intelligent and somehow uh less aware and somehow that we perceive society through some foggy coal smoked lens of a stupid factory worker or uh, mm -hmm. uh and all you know uh you know i'm a neck down person and all i could do is turn a wrench or swing a hammer and um my experience has shown that this is so far from the truth discussions like this one that we're having right now um i've had on the job site with you know with uh iron workers and plumbers and welders and uh, laborers. So I, I am very uh, strongly disagree with that, the idea that um, these deeper philosophical debates aren't something that uh, is natural to us as, as humans. Mm. It has nothing to do with our class or our level of formal education. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I've found very similar things in, in my experience as well. Like I've had some really deep uh analytical conversations with working class people many of whom did not have college degrees some of them didn't even finish high school um but you know it doesn't take an education or in an income to have an imagination and i think uh that's one thing that is sorely lacking yeah i yeah, uh, fully agree oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was, I was just about to wrap up. Okay. And uh, as we do wrap up, I wanted to say, Asa, I really appreciate what you're doing and like how you're reaching people. Um, I am a little bit older than Jacob, 
and I am a lot less online. So like I'm not really a big TikTok guy and I'm not really on social media a ton. Uh, but I, I really am impressed with what you're doing and how you're reaching people. And I think it's just uh, we need more of that in the labor movement of reaching people where they are. Uh, however that looks like. And I think you've, you've found a way to reach people on a platform and with humor in a way that's really cool. And, and I just really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. I, 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 I try, I try way harder than it looks like I try. Yeah, well, we that <laughs> I, the, the last, I guess the last thing that, uh, the, the last thing I, I, I meant to ask you this and I forgot how many, because some of these, uh, there's a couple of them that you did where like, you look cool as shit, man. Like just like super like, oh, I'm like a, you know, worker or, or like, I'm thinking of the one where you're laying down your, uh, toolbox and you're like, you know, uh, uh clocking out to, you know, posts like anti-boss content or something and it's like wow this guy looks like really big strong cool worker guy how many times did you have to tape that was that a one and done or did you have to to, to get the look did you have to do it a few times that was completely a one and done uh oh, just a total of, of lighting um i will <laughs> say that sometimes especially um with some of the uh the, the format of, of lip syncing to uh, somebody else talking or um, I, I do think of what I do as art, right? So um, things like angles and lighting are important to me. Uh, and I do entertain people sometimes uh, in the parking lot or uh, on the job site with, uh, with just imagine seeing me in my high vis vest and my hard hat and I've got my phone set up and I'm, uh, you know, bashing my head into a, saying a couple of times and bashing my head into a toolbox a bunch of times over and over again until I get the time. <laughs> um, definitely giving some people uh, entertainment who have no idea what the hell I'm doing. That's awesome. Asa Liebman, uh, fourth year apprentice from UA Local 469 in Arizona. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me out. You guys have a great show. Appreciate All right. It. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. So we, uh, we're going to go ahead and roll out. Um, appreciate everybody hanging out. Uh, don't forget, you can support the show on tvlr.fm on our website. And uh, until then, we will see you next week. Bye, y'all.